Good morning, church. Happy birthday, Biloxi. First prayers. 125 years ago. That's how old you are. And I am. We're all members now. God has been good. We weren't here in the beginning. And nobody that was here in the beginning is here now, I think. Most of them have gone to heaven. How many of you were not born in 1977? You were still not born. One, two, three, four, a few. That was the year when we first came to Biloxi and served in the pastorate here up through 89. I remember many, many faces. Uh, Susie Bogart is back with us today. She was a secretary. Susie, stand up and let everybody see you. You know how long she was here as secretary for the church. Am I right? 18 years. And we are so glad she could be with us for the worship service this morning. Uh, who else? Joan was here. I remember Joan, the first day we arrived, she was out in the North X greeting people, and she's still here doing it. And Charlotte, when did you and Parker first come? Fifty-nine. How about that? And so many of y'all have been here through the years and have been a blessing to this congregation. There's Linton sitting back there on the back row by himself. Where's Where's your beloved today? Well, I'm sorry. You tell her we'll be thinking about her and praying for her. I see you got your daughter here, though, sitting up here with my beloved. On July the 21st of this year, Betty, who's sitting by Pat, and who's that girl sitting by you? Is that one of Jones' girls? It is. I know who it is. I'm just checking y'all. Betty and I will have been married for... 57 years on July the 21st. She came from Alexandria, Louisiana to Jackson, Mississippi. Well, you know God sent her there to find me. And I was born and raised in Canton, Mississippi. And uh, I really didn't think she'd give me the time of day at first, but she said it was love at first sight. I have to give her that. She said that. I... I never could, I thought you were just talking to me. But uh, finally, I said, well, one of these days, I'm just going to have to ask her out. And I saw a date in one of my good friends on February the 13th, the day before Valentine's. And so I said, that's it. If she'll go out with him, I might have a chance. <laughs> and so I called her the next morning, which was Valentine's Day. And I, at her dormitory, and I said, would you go out with me tonight? She said, I'd love to. I said, really? <laughs> and that was our first day. 
for Valentine's Day, 1959. And then on April the 25th, we went over to her home in Alexandria, Louisiana, sat on her front porch. I told her I had forgotten something in the car, so I ran to get it. And when I got it, I got down on my knees and said, Would you marry me? And she said, Yes. And we were engaged on that day, April the 25th. And then on July the 21st of 1959, we went back to her home in Alexandria and were married. And we have three children and seven grandchildren today and we spent much, much of our time here through life, best days, uh, wonderful times in Biloxi with our family, with all of our children got to come and it's a joy to be back today. We miss so many faces. I went through the one of the old uh, yearbooks from the church and saw the names of many, many people who are with the Lord now, and I miss seeing those faces here this morning. But it's a joy to be with all of you who are still here and the new ones who are here that, uh, that I haven't really ever seen before. So, I do love to preach. I always have loved to preach. I believe that God get, called me to preach. He called me, he saved me when I was 17. I've told you that story before. Anyway, some of you older people remember that song. When I was 17, it was a very good year. Let's see, your hand. Anybody remember that song? Oh yeah, you old people. See the hands going up? It was a very good year. Because that was the year that God sent Sam Patterson, an evangelist who was the president of French Camp Academy, to come and preach in Canton, Mississippi, where I went to church occasionally. And uh, he preached Jesus. And I went on a Monday night thinking, what in the world's going on on a Monday night in that church? I thought they only had services on Sunday and maybe sometimes on Wednesday. And some of my friends went with me out of curiosity. We went and he preached the gospel and I was saved. I had wanted to be in the Navy up until that time. But God showed me that night that he had another plan for me and he called me to preach. And I'm so thankful. And so glad to be here today. And uh, I love to preach on all kinds of subjects from the Word of God. One of my favorites is one that I preached on quite a few times while I was down here on the Great Commission. The Great Commission. I love missions. And, and actually we left Biloxi in 89 to go into missions full time. <clears throat> and I still work with African Bible Colleges on the stateside office up in Jackson in missions at, at the seminary there in Jackson. So, enough history, but we had a wonderful, we, we, uh, we were here for the 90th birthday of the church, and that was a long time ago, we, and we had a celebration out on the back grounds between the uh, Fellowship Hall and the church manse, and uh, I remember a lot of the things that, that went on that day, and how many of you 
were there for the for the 90th birthday celebration. Let's see those hands high. The the what? Oh, you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Things were different then, weren't they? Surely different from the way they are today. Okay. I want to share with you a message that God has put on my heart through the years. I entitled the message John 3.16, The Depth of God's Emotion Toward Sinners. And if you want to look in your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, beginning with verse 35 and going through 38. Jesus traveled through all the cities and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of disease and illness. He felt great pity for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they did not know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers to his fields. And then, one of my very favorite verses is the last three verses of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, starting with 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be certain of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. May God add his blessing to our reading, understanding of his holy and inspired and unchanging word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for all your goodness and love and mercy in Jesus for sending the the son of your love from his glorious throne in heaven to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, to shed his precious lifeblood that we might be brought into your kingdom and that we might spend eternity with you. And so, Lord God, our Father in heaven, as we are here together this morning in, in your name, we pray that, that you would cause us to Listen to what you have to say, for Father, you know that I have absolutely nothing to say. It's only what you say to us that will really matter. And so we pray that you would speak, that our lives and hearts would be touched, 
that they would be changed, that you would make us what you want us to be. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, when I think about the Great Commission, the first thing that comes to my mind is four words. Thank God for Jesus. I'm so glad that he came into this world to save lost sinners like us. So often, you and I are guilty of condemning and refusing to forgive each other, but our God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion, and his goodness toward us is beyond all measure. And I cannot mention the name of Jesus Christ without thinking of the compassion of God, his Father in heaven. How thankful every single one of us here in God's house this morning should be that Jesus cared, that he cared with all his heart for evil, for lost, for corrupt people like you and me. And since the moment that he gave up the riches of his Father's home in heaven to come down from his glory and give his lifeblood to save lost souls, he has reflected the tender compassion of God, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Maker. I wonder, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you understand that the depths of God's emotions towards sinners is most fully and completely expressed in John 3, 16, which everybody knows. God sent his only son to save a lost world. And when he chose to let Jesus come and die, the love he expressed included us, you and me. I heard a man say many, many years ago, and some of these things that I'll say to you in the next few minutes, I just uh, have gleaned from messages that I've preached through the years. But I remember a man saying one time that he loved sinners and he hated sin because he loved God. And he said, because of that, I could conceive of bringing myself to the place of dying if by my death souls could be saved. But then he went on to say this. He said, but to give my only son like God did in sending Jesus, I have to tell you folks, never ever could I do that. And yet that is exactly what God did for all lost people. With that one, with that one act, he showed his great compassion for lost sinners. Compassion. You know what that word means? I asked my wife the other night what it meant, and she gave me some good definitions, some of which I can say to you right now, but I can put it to you in one word. I want you to think for a moment about what that word might be. Compassion. What is compassion? It's a word that describes a vital spiritual truth. It's a lot more than some shallow 
sentiment, a, a passing whim. It's an anguished inner feeling that is as deep as life itself. Compassion is an emotion that commands all that life has to offer. And one of the best definitions that I've ever heard of compassion, I can tell you in four words. I can tell you in one word, but I'll tell you in four words. What is compassion? Compassion is the heart. Compassion is the heart. And when you take and apply the principle of compassion to the great commission of Jesus Christ, you begin to understand a little bit of the compassion that he had for all mankind. God's word says that Jesus loved all, loves all people. Everywhere, regardless of who they are, of what they are, regardless of their attitude at the time, regardless of their background, regardless of their geographical location. He loves them in spite of the sins that they have committed and he wants to save them from those sins. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world. But folks, church, if we do not have his heart, how can we be useful to him in fulfilling his last great command to go and take the gospel to all the world. The church in the world today, and what is the church in the world today? Well, I should say, who is the church in the world today? It's you and me. We're the church, his church. And we have no greater need than to be gripped by the love and compassion and heart of our Lord for all people everywhere. And I think perhaps maybe no verse in all of God's unchanging word can say, say it in fewer, in fewer words than Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. You might want to look at that in your Bible. Matthew 14, 14 says that Jesus looked and Jesus saw a great multitude. And Jesus was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now there are three things in this verse that clearly show the character of the Son of God. And if you will want to be like Jesus Christ, how many of you would say, don't raise your hands, but how many would say you want to be like Jesus this morning? Probably most everyone in here would say that. Do you say that? If you want to be like Jesus, then each of these three things must show up in your life by the fruit that you bear. First of all, Jesus saw a great multitude. You see it right there in Matthew 14, 14. And that's the reason why you and I need to see and to know as much about the lost and dying world as we can. That's why we need to get out and do our best with his help to reach them for him while it's yet day. If you have the love of Christ in your heart, you cannot help but see. In fact, if you really have the love of Christ in your heart, 
that will make you look for every opportunity to see. Now we've all got eyes this morning with which to see. But I think that so many of us don't really see. And so many of us, I'm afraid, don't want to see. Do you honestly want to see the need of a lost and dying world for that which only Jesus can give? The Word of God makes it so plain that every true believer in Him will always be searching the world for poor, lost, dying, condemned souls out there without Him. And that believer, be it you or me or whoever, will ask ourselves, what can I do, Lord? What can I do to reach them today before it's eternally too late? It ought to be a question that you live with each day as a believer. It ought to haunt you. Does it? Does it? And when we see a need for Jesus, and we will see a need for Jesus, if we will only open our eyes and look, then as one who really loves Him, we will gladly and joyfully begin to deprive ourselves more and more of the things of this world in order that they, through our sacrifice, might be led out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do you want to be more like Jesus today, church? I've just started saying church lately because I think it needs to be said. But you are the church. This building is not the church. This is the place where we worship the living God. Do you, church, do you want to be more like Jesus? Then open your eyes to the harvest that is so ripe and ready to be reaped for God. Don't let it die on the ground. How can you, as a child of the King, if you really love Him? In Ezekiel chapter 33, I don't know if you've ever read that chapter. I hope you have. I hope you've read the whole Bible. Maybe parts of it. But in Ezekiel 33, God speaks and says, When I say to the wicked man, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn that wicked man to turn from his wicked way, he will die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. So many of us sometimes I think we're like a young man that I remember from traveling as an evangelist in my earlier years. And I was up in West Virginia one time. And we worked with uh, a church and we worked with some of the young people during the afternoons of the revival service that we were holding in that church. And I got to know some of these young people. And there was one boy in particular who was with our youth group that we dealt with that week who had been raised on the backside 
of a great mountain on uh, up in West Virginia. And we decided to take some of the young people on, on a trip down into a city, which was for them uh, far, far away. They'd never left that mountain in all their lives, they said. And they were excited about the opportunity to get out and go down and visit a city. Didn't even know really what a city was. And this, this boy, on his first trip off of that mountain, went with us to visit a hospital. Later on, he said, he looked at me in all earnestness and said, you know, sir, I couldn't even pronounce the word hospital. When you said that's where we were going, I said to myself, what in the world is a hospital? And as he said, I walked down the, the halls of that hospital. I stared through open doors where there were sick people everywhere. And finally, he said to me, you know, I just didn't know there were that many sick people in all the world. Do you see how very much like that young man we all are? living behind our mountains of indifference and preoccupation and complacency and, and failing to see the vastness of the world and the need of its people for that which only God's Son can give. The Bible says in no uncertain terms that where there is no vision, the people perish. <clears throat> and the implication is that without vision in your heart, Christian, the world perishes. If you lack the vision of Jesus Christ, you will never even be willing to think about crossing the ocean to be a foreign missionary. Nor would you ever think it necessary to spend more time on reaching the lost than you spend on yourself and on what you do at home here in the local church budget. In fact, the man without the vision of Jesus Christ will not, will not even have a whole lot of interest in crossing the road to help a stray soul out of the ditch of sin. When, may I ask you, believer, this morning, when was the last time that you took advantage of a real opportunity that may have come your way to speak to a man about his soul or a woman or a young person. When was the last time? The Bible says a great deal about those who believe in Christ's great commission but who never really get involved in carrying it out in their lives. That passage in Ezekiel that I mentioned a moment ago, chapter 33, is just one of many Strong biblical indictments. Go back and read that passage again and pray that God will burn it into your heart and make you unable to forget it because the world today is tragically lost. And it's, I like to say sometimes it's as lost as, as a tiny baby would be in a burning building. And what would you do if you 
realized that your child was going up in a building that was burning. Well, of course, you know what you would say. You know what you would do. You would sacrifice everything that you had in order to save that child's life. But what would you do if you knew that the child of someone else, a close friend perhaps of yours, was in a burning building? And you look at me and you say, well, well, there's absolutely no difference. I would do the same thing I would do if it was my own child. I'd risk my life in order to save that child. Now listen. Did you know that the world today is full of children who are perishing daily? And whose children are they, folks? Well, they are the children of one who sticks closer to you than your own brother. Yes, they are the children of our God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they are lost children and they need the Savior. And you've got the ways. I've got the ways and the means of reaching them for Him sacrificially. But what are we doing? It's our responsibility as believers in Christ to take the good news of Him to them. Are you doing it? If not, will you start doing it today? But you've got so much else to do, you say. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. He's got a lot of sheep out there who need the bread and water of life. Will you sacrifice, Christian, will you sacrifice what you have and what you are so that they might be saved? Will you rescue them from the fire? Remember the old hymn says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from the sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. He's compassionate. Jesus will say, folks, church, church, here is as good a test as there is of what God really means to you and to me. Am I willing to put a significant part of my time and my talent and my possessions into fulfilling His great commission? And are you? Have you ever tried to feel the weight which the early followers of Jesus must have felt? Can you see that when he said to them, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. World, Can you see, Christian, this morning, that when Jesus said that, he was placing the weight of the entire world on their shoulders, and on your shoulders, and on my shoulders. When Jesus walked the face of the earth and, and had disciples here in as he was on earth as a man and God. 
It was a big world. He was in a cruel world. He was in a cold world. He was in a heavy world. And today that world, I can assure you, is bigger, it's more cruel, it's colder, it's heavier than it has ever been in the history of mankind. And the burden this places on the shoulders of those who love Christ is so great that it's almost beyond our ability to take in. And we can certainly never, ever hope to accomplish it alone because such a heavy load demands a higher than human assistance. And so I say to you in Christ's name, well, hello, good morning, Christian. Who is standing there ready and willing and able to be that assistance? Of course, that is your God. But we must respond. And we must learn to see beyond ourselves if we're going to accomplish his task in our time. The big, per, per, the big problem with this, however, is that it's never all that easy to think beyond ourselves in our own backyard. And many people just simply waste a lifetime never looking beyond their own front gate. Jesus even had to tell the twelve who were closer to him than any others that they must lift up their eyes to the fields of the world. But being human like us, they were tending to keep their eyes focused on what was right in front of them. The more immediate, the more obvious needs nearby, things at home. And so it took urging from Jesus to get them to look up and out on a lost world in sin. Folks, no one, nobody, man, woman, or child, who keeps his or her eyes selfishly focused on self and at home will ever see the need of a lost world. Nor will he see what Jesus saw unless he has the spirit of Jesus and the love of Jesus toward all people everywhere. And I ask you in his name this morning, do you have his spirit and do you have his heart? Do you? Probably the greatest weakness of the church as we move more and more into the 21st century is contentment and self-satisfaction, things that are certainly very unchristlike. Surely the priest, you remember the priest and the Levite on the Jericho Road, don't you? They fall into this category, and I'm afraid that we do too. The priest and Levite came along and glanced at obvious need as they passed by on the other side. They saw a man who had fallen among thieves. He had been beaten cruelly and mercilessly, and they knew what that duty was. But mental knowledge is never enough. It never is. It never has been. It never will be. Apparently, both the priest and the Levite were in a big hurry like we stay in most of the time. And so because of that, they found a good excuse, which in their minds 
they could readily accept. But even if they had had the time, they probably would not have stopped to help a total stranger in need. They just didn't have the concern in their heart. And so what good did it do them to look at the man? They saw him, but did they really see him? No, I don't think so. The, uh, the Bible says that the priest passed that way by chance, which implies that he would have gone far out of his way to dodge such a, a gruesome sight had he only known it was coming. Folks, again I say to you, the world today is full of need for many things, but need most of all for Jesus Christ. Guess who has the answer? And guess who has the means to provide the answer for their need? It's you and it's me. Of course. Aren't we his people? But are we doing it? Or are we too much like that priest and that Levite who having eyes to see press on through our lives that, ra that are so rapidly passing and leave them alone in their terrible need? Are we so preoccupied with ourselves that we seldom if ever see beyond the local church right here, maybe in Biloxi? And folks, there's even the what, what I sometimes like to call the anti-missionary attitude in many churches. And many who think of themselves as followers of Jesus Christ are obsessed with this anti-missionary attitude. The picture of a lost sinner is always a vivid description of destruction. And most people don't like to look at something like that because it's evil and it's ugly. But if you can frame such a picture in your mind's eye, and if you will just stop and look at it long enough, forget about the other things that are going on every day. If you'll stop and look at it, it will haunt you and it will trouble you and it will disturb you. But it takes more than human sight and understanding of need for God's will to be known and done by you and by me. Insight, insight into the terrible need has to lead us to the next natural step, which is the Christ-like compassion. The compassionate step that moves us to sacrificial action. I say to you in the name of our Creator God and His beloved Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit of the living God, the day, the day is just about done. It really is. The night is at hand. Will you and I be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission and will we do it now? Will we reach out to a lost and dying world for Christ through prayer and sacrificial giving of all that we have and all that we are for His glory? I hope you will think about these things for Jesus today 
as we as we close the message this morning, I want to remind you what Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 says. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 says, the good, the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then finally the end will come. Will you be a part of doing it for him while it's still a little light left? If you will, I ask you to get your insert out of your bulletin this morning. I want us to sing to the tune of How Great Thou Art, a missionary song. Let's stand together if you believe that and want to be a part of it.